and the most of the time the boy says this the cricket is only for boys not for a girls welcome to sport inc a podcast where we look beyond the field of play to discuss the business politics science and future of sports each episode will have an expert guest i'm isabel westbury and i'm tim wigmore and together we're your hosts Sitting here with Tim Wigmore, who's a sports writer for The Telegraph and also contributes to The Economist and ESPN Quick Info. And I'm uh, here with Isabel Westbury. Um, she's uh, a broadcaster for the BBC and Sky and writes for The Guardian and The Independent. This is the pod of the walking wounded. <laughs> Sitting across yeah. the road from Chelsea and Westminster Hospital, Tim and I have both picked up infections on our <laughs> yeah. travels. It's, we're going to make them sound much worse than they really are. Yeah. But it means that we, we're, we're desk bound to speak on the podcast. And this time we thought we'd have a chat about women's sport because it's something that's developing rapidly. I, for obvious reasons, have vested interest in it. Um, but it's, it's developing in terms of on-field standards, the coverage, the infrastructure, but also the sense that it's starting to be taken seriously the play itself being analysed and scrutinised, whereas before I think it was just being celebrated that it actually existed. Yeah, before there was, in coverage sometimes, there was a sense of, wow, these people are kind of playing and they would yeah. almost slightly infantilise some of the coverage. And now we're seeing a, a real shift where you can, you know, you can attack uh, the tactics of the manager users in women's football. You can you can criticise a women's cricket team for you know the way they rotate the strike, or whatever. So it's it's a sense it's been it's been uh, normalised really, and you know in a way that female tennis was you know probably forty or fifty years ago. And that's the eternal question: Why was it so so far ahead of all the other sports? Um, but it, going back to sort of the team sports, really, is what we're focusing on today. Is, is there still remain a number of barriers to women's sport achieving that quality? Um, from well, some quite dated attitudes. I mean, I think about social media: women aren't as fast, as powerful, as exciting as men on a sports field, and never will be. Or um, the one that I get the most often is: it doesn't make economic sense to invest in women's sports and. A favourite that I was accused of recently was stop pursuing your own selfish agenda. But it's for that reason we decided to. Um, I was out in India following the England women's tour, um, and that's quite an interesting place in terms of women's sport because cricket there is is well, it's been dubbed a religion many times over. But women's cricket hasn't quite been able to buy into that yet, and we talked to a few people out there to see whether it will do soon and what the potential for it is in, in a country like India. Yeah, and I think something else that a bit of a, a takeaway for me is that you know, people think of the growth of women's sport as a more, more recent kind of event, but actually if you look at the history, it's obviously a troubled history, but we see women's sport not only kind of not supported, but actually suppressed in, in many ways. So um, in the end of the 1910s, after the First World War, um, you get grounds of 50,000 um, women's football in England um, and then the FA Football Association 1920-21 it basically banned all its clubs from allowing uh, women to, to play on, on their grounds and that ban lasts for 50 years from 1921 to 71 which is absolutely remarkable um, and it, it shows that to the extent which administrators often in sport haven't just been ignoring sport ignoring female sport so much as actively suppressing it um, and in, in cricket in India we see, so 1997 the World Cup final uh, happens there, Australia and New Zealand, we get a crowd of 60,000 to Eden Gardens um, and that, people look at that as a potential, as a turning point but it, it doesn't really happen and it probably takes until the generation after the Women's World Cup final in England at Laws in 2017 when potentially we see that that sort of catalyst moment. Absolutely, and, that, and that's actually that, that question about that final in Kakata and Eden Gardens is something that I put to Anjum Chopra, who's the first person you'll hear from on this podcast. She's the former captain of India. She's now a broadcaster of the men's and women's game and made headlines uh, a few years ago when she became one of four women to broadcast on the men's Indian Premier League, the IPL, which is a relatively new and lucrative franchise league of, of privately funded clubs competing in, in the sh this short and flashy 2020 format of cricket and it was also until that point the preserve of men on and off the field but we talked to a few other people as well who'll be introduced in the podcast and we covered topics such as the profile of Mitali Raj the current India women's captain in ODIs at least and now a household name the role of uh, the BCCI the border control for cricket in India which is the sports governing body in the country and also tackling a few of the more contentious topics around women's sports. So just Izzy by herself, flying solo. Have a, have a listen and enjoy. 
captained India for a decade, eventually retiring in 2012. How much of the attitudes, the attention and the funding to women's cricket changed or improved across India since that time? Um, it's changed a lot, yes, for sure. I think the biggest difference that's come about is uh, in the contracts uh, that the uh, women players have started receiving. And that's the biggest change financially, if one may call it. And that's why people say that, uh, don't you think, they ask me rather, don't you think you came at uh, a decade sooner? or you came a little ahead of time. So I don't know whether that's right or not, but <laughs> no. I think that's the biggest change that's happened. And uh, apart from the facilities, uh, look from the time that BCCI took over, which was uh, in 2005, 2006, uh, when ICC merged with IWCC, um, you know, the facilities for sure have uh, improved by every step in every year, and the funding for sure has become much better. 2017 World Cup final was uh, in a packed Lord Stadium, the home of cricket, 28,000 people, and there, there are reports that 180 yeah. million people, yeah. I think it was, yeah. watched it on television globally, and 156 million yeah. of those were in India alone. India lost the game, but just being there really heightened their exposure. I think Mitali Raj's Twitter followers went from 81,000 to 160,000 by the end of the tournament. It's two years since that final. Do you think that India has capitalised on that exposure, or is that was there a missed opportunity? It certainly was a missed opportunity for sure and uh, because when you look at the numbers, yes, and when, when an Indian team reaches a final to that level or to that stage and especially cricket, you know, you do expect a following like that and that was something like a icebreaker for the women's game for India to reaching the final and we all realised that not, not only in July when Indian teams saw that, I think we saw that coming as players, as broadcasters in, in the month of February itself when the Indian team was playing the World Cup qualifiers in Sri Lanka because they had to qualify for the 2017 World Cup and I saw the work that the ICC uh, uh, was putting in, the ICC media committee was putting in and it was, it was wonderful and it was just going to be the biggest help from the team if they managed to reach the biggest stage in the final and, and, take, and help the game grow, which it actually did. So yes, it was wonderful uh, when you look at it, not from a team's perspective, but from a broadcaster's or, or somebody who follows the team now. But I think as a team or as as, a, as somebody who's been in that dressing room earlier, I think it was the biggest missed opportunity ever. Do, do you think that in a way, the fact that India lost that match might have been a good thing because it shows what could be achieved if there was a little bit more investment or attention played to women's cricket in India. Do you think it made the people, some important people in the BCCI, for example, wake up to that? Uh, I would say no to that. I think no. Um, you know, realistically and hypothetically, there are very two different ways. And as we speak over here, we talk about uh, the growth of women's cricket and the world is taking notice of it. Everyday dailies are carrying front page photographs of uh, women players reaching number one ICC rankings or doing something like that, which is definitely the media has done, which is definitely the kind of attention that the sport has got in India, especially uh, in the last uh, couple of years. But that's all, that's all something that is attributed to other papers. I, as a player here, would like to don a hat of being a player and say, look, realistically, that was a mischance. And realistically, what is the kind of progress that an Indian team has made from 2070 to 2019? And I still stay it's work in progress and it's work in progress which is which is probably not a, a finalist team or a runner-up team would would be would be hoping to do you know they'll they'll be pushing the case um, much harder so th there is a lot of scope for improvement I I don't think as a player and I've, I've never believed that you know you need you need to tell someone else in the administration that look you're not paying attention to me otherwise I would have done something better you know, as players, we've always realized that you score a century and the world is there to applaud you. You can't expect the world to applaud you without scoring a hundred. And I've always felt that the day the women's team win a World Cup or reach the finals, we've always got attention. We've done that. The attention in 2005 was different. It's, it's multiplied, manifolded in big times in 2017 and it's only going to grow from here. But the fact is that at the end of the day, realistically, the team needs to consistently win or at least show the progress towards uh, becoming a world champion. A common refrain when referencing cricket in India is that it's less a sport and more a religion. But we 
almost forget that that really applies to men's cricket and not women's. Is that a frustration when you hear about cricket talked in India like that? Yes, it's always been there. It's like a religion, yes. But, you know, I, I will probably take it in a more positive manner here. At least I'll say that cricket is a followed game. You know, the gender might be different. Yes, men's cricket is, is like a religion. The world takes notice of it. The country is always glued on to a game which, is, which the Indian team is playing. And, you know, at least half the job is done by saying that the people in our country, people around Asia or the world, like cricket. Now, the attention has to shift from men's cricket to women's cricket. So rather than giving a sport which is not known to people and making them understand the game is one way of looking at it. Or here I say that at least they know the game, they know the sport. And here they can idolize with, with a different gender playing it and, and playing the same game with the same set of rules. So half the job's done. As you can hear from Anjum, the outlook for women's cricket is an optimistic one on the whole. However, as well as talking to Anjum, who, let's not forget, has been one of the core drivers of much of the change that we have seen, we also had the opportunity to meet Sharma and Bhavani, two young teenage girls who live in a large slum in Mankurd on the outskirts of Mumbai and who participate in the Magic Bus India Foundation, a charity aiming to break the cycle of poverty through an activity-based curriculum. They're also two of the participants who will be attending this year's Street Child Cricket World Cup, which will be taking place in the UK before the men's main event later in the summer. We talked to them, with the help of a translator, about their hopes and aspirations and the role of cricket in their lives. And when we asked them about the challenges that they face, specifically as girls, here is what they had to say. Okay, the first challenge is, the big challenge is of most of the parents, they don't allow their girl child to play uh, outside their home. And uh, the dress also matters because when they play, they have to wear some comfortable clothes, but parents don't allow them to wear shorts and uh, jerseys. She's very upset that the other girls, her friends, who is not getting the equal opportunity and their parents are not sending her friends to play. Uh, and she's saying that it's, it's really, she feels so upset that other girls are not treating as equally as boys treat. <laughs> we never get the opportunity to play in the uh, in the game. Um, she doesn't think that this is a sport that that allows for girls in the community to play in the game. Uh, when they have asked their friends in the past, uh, they have been rejected many times to be a part of that uh, of the sport. Um, and the most of the time, the boy says this: the cricket is only for boys, not for girls. Shamai Singh. In case they will come in the newspapers, new channels, and uh, the neighbors from her community will recognize her as a role model and uh, their parents, other parents will uh, may have uh, that feeling that oh, my, my girl child can be part of this program and she can also travel like Shama. So uh, this is the one thing she has said. And uh, because the, this is the only time that you get yes. such big opportunities. So through this uh, thing, if it, it, will, it, it will cover in news channels. So. Um, the parents will think that support, uh, as a parent, if we will support our child, so she will be, one day she will be in uh, news. Pavati Pujari, now a manager at the Magic Bus India Foundation, with the closing comments there. For a long time in India, men's cricket suffered from prevailing attitudes of who you know rather than what you know, with a strict hierarchy to the extent that if a talented male cricketer wasn't in or around the main cricketing hubs of Mumbai or Delhi, their chances of reaching the highest level was severely limited. However, the IPL appears to have opened things up to a more meritocratic system, even if one of the main motivations is that for those unearthing hidden talent, it can be very lucrative uh, for those involved as well. So we asked Anjum whether, bearing in mind the comments that we heard from the girls at the Magic Bus India Foundation, whether women's cricket still suffers from this limited reach and whether it remains a middle-class game, even more so than the men at this current point in time. You know, what the BCCI has done uh, now uh, from this year onwards, is, which is a very good thing, is they've not uh, differentiated between men's and women's cricket domestic structure. So they've uh, replicated the same structure that they're following for the men's cricket and the women's cricket. Now, when, when we say we're playing the similar structure, we've got 37 teams domestically competing in a domestic structure, which means that players from different states have a chance of competing and playing against the best in the business. 
so that ways i don't think that it's limiting it in, in any format yes one might say that you get notice from premier teams but then that's always been the case if you if you're playing from uh, an england team you there are chances that that you get um noticed at the world stage earlier than playing for probably a zimbabwe or a kenya or any of those teams i st- i i feel the kind of opportunities that are there for players today to be noticed and to go a level higher um keeping the same set of practices which were there maybe a decade ago the practices are the same but the extent and the reach is much higher that they can achieve in a much shorter frame we put a similar question to snahal pradhan who as with anjum is a former indian cricketer she retired in 2011 and since then has been writing and broadcasting on both the men's and women's game and in february and march 2019 snahal was part of the bbc test match special team covering england women's tour of india when we asked snahal how she thought women's cricket might help drive change in the wider society this is what she said um it's massive because uh, you have so many examples not just in the fans of uh, the indian team getting inspired but players in the indian team themselves um r kalpana who was a keeper this backup keeper for uh, the odi leg of this series um she was her parents were essentially looking out for a match for her, her father isn't very financially well off he uh, makes a living riding a rickshaw but uh, she was in the andhra pradesh academy system her she was doing well her coaches went and spoke to her parents that don't marry her off yet she has a future and um, they held back so she a uh, year or two later played for india then there's shikha pande who is such a role model in terms of uh, being an air force officer and engineer and india's opening bowler it's a combination you probably will never get in india ever again um she has an older sister so her parents have two daughters in a society where sons are still prized as you know someone who will take care of the parents and carry on the family name and what not but uh, when i spoke to her father he he gets questions from uh, his from society or maybe he got questions from society that you know oh, do you feel bad that you don't have sons and he replied saying hamari betiya kisi se kam hai kya which means are my daughters any less shikha's older sister is a software engineer so they're both earning combined more than probably any two average boys in india would and uh, they bought their parents a car they bought their parents a house i mean those are the kind of stories that we see coming out not just from the fans of this team but from the team itself so not only is the team a driver of change the team is experiencing that change also some telling comments from snahal as we heard therefore there are examples of rags to riches style opportunities beyond the confines of the middle classes even if they might not be that widespread at the moment So not only does women's cricket have the power to change attitudes it's also benefiting itself from those very changing attitudes hopefully therefore in the coming years these stories will only increase in frequency in women's sport during the tour i actually wandered down on a number of occasions to the oval maidan which is the site of one of the most iconic scenes in india as from dawn until dusk you can see hundreds of scratch unstructured games of cricket being played by boys of all ages within any available patch of turf on one occasion we showed some of the boys pictures of perhaps the three most recognizable female cricketers in india mitali raj shmiti mandana and harmanpreet kaur mitali was recognized instantly by everyone we asked and most were able to name the other two as well which shows how much more visible the game is than only a few years ago however it was still majority if not all boys that were playing in these scratch games so access to cricket especially the more leisurely unstructured stuff which is often the first route into the sport is still an area that needs to improve here's anjum again on whether the increasing visibility of women's cricket in india has the power to change not just women's sport but gender attitudes as a whole yes for sure i think what people end up realizing is when they associate with um, idols champions um, and i think sp- sport is uh, the biggest and the best way of uh, changing mindsets i think the the moment they start seeing and idolizing players and that's why you see the reason why they know uh, mithali or harman or smriti mandana today is just because they've seen them uh, you know at the international stage and have seen them regularly over the past couple of years so keep giving them back the information what they uh, they they're aware about so that till the time it gets drilled into the uh, mindset of uh, the audience 
you just keep repeating what is what is important for them so yes i do feel that uh, the longer time people get to see their idols the mindset is going to improve and change and i think in so- in society in totality that's very important as well Something that has been mooted in India for a few years now is the possibility of launching a women's version of the Indian Premier League. Considering the commercial success and the publicity of the men's version of the tournament, we put it to Anjum that a women's IPL would help meritocratise women's cricket even further, providing opportunities to girls who only 10 years ago might never have contemplated being able to play the game. Women's IPL for sure is going to help uh, create that kind of uh, awareness and a kind of another tournament. Uh, yes, it can be held. Yes, it can be planned. Maybe not at such a massive stage uh, as the men's IPL has done today. And I, and I always felt that uh, a women's IPL should have started uh, somewhere way back in 2010 or so. Uh, because men, women, men's IPL started in 2008. And... 2010 was a good time for the women's IPL to begin, even if it was a smaller level, because by that time it could have grown simultaneously alongside the men's game. Now the situation is that men's IPL, of course, is one of the biggest uh, you know leagues around the world. It's a big stage, and for women's IPL to begin, straight away the comparisons could start. So it's a double-edged sword that that time or now. But at the end of the day. I think when we look at a women's IPL, we also look at promoting our own Indian talent vis-a-vis the international talent. And uh, that also gives us an opportunity of strengthening our bench strength or our domestic structure for players. And that's where I think the players need to take a little more onus on themselves. The administration can help you go to the next level or to the next stage and provide your facilities. But at the end of the day, the runs need to be scored by the players. Wickets need to be scored, taken by the bowlers. Just touching on that, one of the arguments expressed against launching a women's IPL now is that there's not enough depth of talent across the country, or at least not that is yet playing cricket. This will therefore not create the, the caliber of cricket that people want to see on their television screens. And some people argue that this could irrevocably cloud their view of, of women's cricket. Is, it, is there a viable argument to suggest that it's better to wait until that strength and depth improves before launching a very visible women's IPL? Yes, to a large extent I do agree to it at the moment because as I said it's almost it's going to be the uh, 11th year of the IPL. It's already completed uh, 10 seasons and, and, and a lot has changed. A lot of time has changed. A lot of uh, um, you know the awareness of the people of the sport vis-a-vis the IPL has uh, made you know some impressions on them so you, when you when you start a new tournament straight away the impressions about the new tournament will be very latest to their uh, perceptions about the sport and they will straight away compare it to the men's game which is which is not unfair which is completely right but looking at the women's game it's going to be in a very nascent stage it's going to be just developing so you don't want comparisons coming in a negative format because you will eventually as marketers you will be damaging the established product so for for the women's game to start you know as an ipl quote unquote as an ipl i think a smaller format is is very good but we can, one can actually hold it maybe twice a year yeah. uh, in, in, in shorter bursts, shorter duration and giving it to the world audience a, remem- a reminder that you know the women's game is there and it's growing and you know some sort of it so that you keep the interest of the audience intact, you keep reminding them of a women's game and also interest of the marketers intact. Because is the danger that the longer that this is delayed or wait, you wait, the bigger the, the contrast. I think there are two ways of looking at it. One about the, about the game, how the game's going to be evolved by that time. And the other part is the uh, advertisers and the marketers. I think in terms of the marketers, you need to be very uh, conscious as to what you're launching into the market and what is the return on investment that those people would be getting. You don't want to damage the property. You want to have an association with the property for them. So they are very important in terms of launching a, a product like this. And in terms of the game, yes, the longer we delay it, the longer it uh, uh, goes onto the back burner, it's not going to help the Indian players uh, take, take uh, to international cricket easily. Yes, you need, as, as players in India, we, we need to realize what our domestic uh, structure offers and what our domestic players offers and what is the vacuum that is is there between them becoming good domestic players and becoming good international players. I think that's the, that's the plug which needs to be filled and that needs to be filled very soon because what I see is the kind of uh, exposure that players in England, Australia and other top cricketing nations are getting and the, and the gradual 
pros, uh, you know, transformation from being a domestic player to international player, that's much quicker. For a player from those eras is much quicker than a player in a, in a playing in an Indian domestic circuit. How much do you think it matters in terms of attracting spectators and supporters to a tournament like the IPL that women, on average, can't hit the ball as hard or bowl as fast? That's a constant argument that we see. Does it, does it matter ultimately? Again, the comparison comes in because they haven't seen a lot of women's cricket, you know. So whatever the world hasn't seen, they will not identify with it. If they've seen the way Deandra Dutton hits those sixes or the kind of shots that Meg Lanning hits or the kind of power that Catherine Brunt generates in her, uh, in her bowling when she bowls those bouncers, you would only relate to them when you see them. And if you don't see them, you wouldn't know that, you know, there is a, there's no need to compare. There's no need for that comparison. Everyone in the world would understand that a physical physicality of the sport can never be compared. You can't compare the strength of a Chris Gale to a Deandra Dottin. But you can compete with the shots that Chris Gale plays with Deandra Dottin because she hits them the same kind of distance, the same, uh, with same power, because at the end of the day, it's crossing the line. Now, whether it crosses the line, Touching the, uh, touching the nearly the floodlights of the stadium and goes for a six, or does it go parallel to the ground? Doesn't matter. She's hitting those sixes as long as Chris Gale is, and they come from the same country. So it's it's just about being unaware of uh, these things. I've never felt that you need to bowl a ball at a 150 k's to be noticed. You can still do the damage. Glenn McGrath was never quick, but he did the damage. Same way is, is, is probably an Anya Shropsol picking up six wickets. Whether she bowl, bowls change of pace or whether she bowls it with a good in-swinging uh, deliveries, at the end of the day, she's doing the job. So the factor that somebody cannot bowl at 135 k's and somebody bowls at a consistently 120 k's, I don't think that's a comparison good enough. But yes, cricket is more about a batter's game. And if some people can hit those sixes, can hit those boundaries regularly, and you look at the scores of the women's game in a T20 game, men's games don't clock 300 or 250 in every uh, in T20 format. The power score in a men's game is about 160. The power score in a women's game is about 140 to 145. So I don't think the 15-run difference is massive, but it's something that uh, can really be enjoyed. Last month, um, the Indian cricket team's kit sponsor, Nike, launched their new kit in time for the Men's Cricket World Cup this summer. However, this time, com in comparison to previous occasions where the only ones featured in the adverts and social media campaign were, were men, who are mm. almost all of them are household <coughs> names, mm. two of the five cricketers pictured here were women from the national team. Is this because the, um, the Indian cricket's governing body, the, the Board of Control for Cricket in India, the BCCI, want to do or at least be seen to be doing the right thing? Or are we reaching a point where, women's, where businesses and um, governing bodies are seeing women's cricket as a commercially viable proposition in India? Mm. Both. I think, yes, they're seeing it as a commercially viable proposition in India. And that's where I think that the players need to realize that there is a massive opportunity for them. And they're sitting on a, on a gold mine in terms of turning the sport around in the country. Uh, they definitely see it as a viable option. And the other is that, um, you know, all the sponsors uh, in women, uh, to the BCCI, because they're the governing body, are the same. So when, when they are launching a kit uh, of the men's sport for the men to wear, and the women will be wearing the similar colors. Now, earlier, uh, a few years ago, the colors that the women used to play in were slightly different or the older ones that the men used to play, for example. Like which you played in? Uh, like which I played in, yes, you can say that. Uh, and it was till, till very recent, you know, uh, till about uh, two years ago or some, till about the last uh, jersey which was uh, launched for the Indian team. I think before that, the men used to play in uh, the newer colors which the company Nike used to launch in. And the women were wearing the older jerseys, which were probably two years earlier or three years earlier. So they never had the similar colors. And those similar colors were not given to even the under-19 India or the President's Eleven. So there was a difference. But now, all the players who are playing for Indian team or board presidents or in India, India under-19, are playing in similar colors. So for the women also to be featured in that ad, I think it works as, as A, an encouraging factor, and B, it's kind of a shift that we are seeing world over of getting more women on board, getting more uh, women directors on board, having gender parity, 
having to do with encouraging the women in, in not only the field of sport but even uh, corporate uh, structures. So it's something that is a shift. But what I'd like to see a shift as we go along is uh, if there are five men cricketers doing that photo shoot or on a panel, there should be five women cricketers. It shouldn't be five and two, it shouldn't be seven and three. It should be similar numbers, men and women cricket. So that's the probably the next level and scope of improvement which I see that uh, the women need to capitalize and earn a space for their own selves. We talked a little bit before um, going online with this interview about um, the Indian Soccer League, um, the ISL, which launched five years ago. And you said that a lot of businessmen and women who may have been involved, invested in cricket, are now investing in that. Um, in a way, because trying to get a start in investing in, in men's cricket now is almost impossible. You need billions, if you know, a lot of money, whereas in the football, which in India is still quite a nascent sport in comparison to cricket, you don't need as much investment for perhaps very profitable returns. Could the same be said about women's cricket, that this, this is potentially about to exponentially increase in terms of the returns you get on investment? I think the returns on investment for cricket, where I feel it, although I've never sat down with uh, numbers from people who really uh, look at them in, in an, on an Excel sheet or, uh, you know, but, but I would still think that the return on investment on a women's cricket property will, prob will might be just higher and quicker than any other sport. Uh, again, I say the reason is because uh, cricket is a winner in our country. And it's just about uh, hitting the right uh, channels, hitting the right chords um, in terms of showcasing the women's uh, sport to the audience. As I said, cricket is already widely um, accepted. So when you tweak that product and you tweak it to suit the marketeers and to suit uh, the audiences, uh, watching them at home or getting them to the, uh, to the stadiums to watch it, I'm sure the uh, uh, once the marketers who are supporting other sports other than cricket in our country with other leagues are on board with it, the return would be much better. One of those featuring in the kit launch was the omnipresent India men's cricket captain, Virat Kohli, perhaps the most recognisable man in India. And he understandably has huge social media presence. And at times he's used it to voice his opinions against sexual harassment of women. Has he played a positive role in gender relations in India? Many, many suggest that he has. Look, he's a big voice in the country and he's a, one of the most recognizable faces, uh, not only in India, but around the world. And if he voices an opinion uh, which can help change uh, mindsets in a positive manner, I think that's something that he realizes it very well. And somebody as, as, as a newer generation or the next generation uh, uh, player, people idolize with him, people uh, follow him in a much uh, positive light. So yes, if he voices an opinion like that, it, it does make a difference. And, and what I see is also, it's not only about voicing an opinion, it's about believing in that opinion. Uh, because you can, you can just voice a script and not believe in it. But the difference comes in when you actually believe in your actions and you believe in the statements that you do and people can see through it. And I think he really believes in that. And, and that's the biggest reason why when Virat Kohli stands up and says something like that uh, to, uh, why, isn't a women's, uh, uh, why isn't a Women's Day celebrated around the year? Why should it be celebrated only on one particular day? Because women are a very important part of the society and, and, and they, are, they are a strong gender. So why should they be differentiated and celebrated? So I think things like this, when he voices them and because he believes in them, does make a very good positive impact. And by contrast, we, we saw a few months ago when Hardik Pandya and Kea Rahul were interviewed on a, a chat show making derogatory comments. How, how much does that set back women's equality in, in sport and across society? Again, I'll just uh, probably go back to what uh, we, we mentioned about the Indian captain Virat Kohli. I think uh, he, he straight away came out that they do not associate or the team does not associate with the statements that both Hardik Pandya and KL Rahul made. Now without getting into the fact that what did they say, why did they say, just coming out of the statements. And, and that's the reaction from the team. Because as a team also, they realize that, uh, you know, making a gender-specific uh, statement or not, being, not making a statement which can be misconstrued, which it actually, you know, it just became a big, big show. Right, wrongly, I'm not getting there. But, you know, so straight away he said that we do not associate with the statements of these two players. So it just goes to show that what you speak and what you practice is pretty much similar. 
I don't think it's impacted the women's game much, but you know, as as a nation where we are at the moment, or as a society where we are moving towards, as I said, you know, everybody's moving towards at least trying to practice gender parity. It's it's a very healthy sign. To return to to you for a moment, because you've offered some very considered opinions about um, women's equality in cricket, but you were one of the one of four women to first commentate on the men's main IPL broadcast a few years ago now. Were you, when you um, were asked to do it, was it a surprise? Uh, no, uh, it's not a surprise and it was never a surprise because I've always considered, again, you know, when, when depends how the person is looking because when you're talking cricket or when you're a broadcaster, it's not about being a male broadcaster or a female broadcaster because that's not your job. Your job is to talk about the sport and I've always believed that a sport is gender neutral. Sport doesn't recognize a voice. It recognizes the opinion and it recognizes the content. It doesn't really matter whether a male is speaking or a female is speaking. If men can speak about the sport that the women are playing, so what stops a woman on speaking about the sport that the men are playing? And people who still feel that, you know, a, a woman shouldn't be speaking about a men's sport every now and then or they think of, of a different gender you know the moment the men's games comes in then I think that that's a thought process which is uh, of, of different standards because then then you're not speaking and you're not making your actions uh, come you know coincide with each other then that's different I'm, I wasn't surprised when I was asked to speak about the game because probably uh, they required a voice or they thought there's a shift and no complaints there you know I, I mean I have been definitely considered or I've been very much encouraged by everyone around here be it in my own uh, country my own home board or even at the ICC level as a, as a cricketer former cricketer or as a broadcaster I've definitely been uh, very much encouraged to taking up this uh, this field regularly and that's why I am in this field if I wasn't encouraged I maybe I would have not considered this field as a profession but I just feel that as as we uh, expand our wings or as we go further you know uh, getting to a sport which is being covered by more and more people men and women that's the shift that we're trying to uh, generate as a as a player when we say that women are wearing the same kits or are playing the same rules playing the same game and covered by the international boards in a similar manner then over here as well I think the idea of a woman speaking about a sport or a male boy speaking about the sport shouldn't just come any longer. It should just be who can add more to the picture, who can add more to the value. And the voice, a different voice as an audience or as, a, as somebody who's sitting at home and uh, watching the game, everybody likes uh, a different vo uh, voice coming in. Uh, doesn't really matter male or a female. So that's, that's the only difference. And that's the difference which still exists in a few minds. Uh, and we just have to wait and wait for their opinions to change very patient attitude but since then you, you're, you're now um, a regular voice as you say on, on men's and women's cricket but when you first did it did you do you feel that pressure that you were um, being judged on behalf of all women no I've never felt that I was being judged on behalf of women I think I was always uh, uh, yes I was nervous I still am sometimes when I go uh, I won't say sometimes as a you know, I've always taken the field of commentating as a field when I used to get into the centre to bat or to bowl. Now, my preparation doesn't change. If I was uh, going to be playing against an England team in a World Cup final, my preparation would be similar. Uh, and, and retrospectively, when I'm commentating, my preparation towards going into the World Cup final to commentate will be some, somewhat similar. So, I, I've always taken it as that. It's never been uh, taken for granted. It doesn't matter. or just Pick up the mic and speak. No. I think uh, you need to make sense when you pick up that mic. And, and you need to convince the audience. So I was never of a fact that I'm being judged as a woman broadcaster. I was always uh, aware of the fact that when I'm given an opportunity and I pick up a mic to speak, I must make sense. And to make sense, to convince my audience, that has always been the criteria. Yes, you get, I've always felt when I, the first time I was, uh, first few years rather, whenever I was sharing the uh, commentary box with uh, established men cricketers uh, from India or internationally, you know, that, that factor of uh, uh, being sitting alongside them, matter of pride, because if you're commentating sitting next to uh, Mr. Sunil Gavaskar or, 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 or somebody like a Bumble Lloyd or, you know, anywhere in world cricket, you're sitting with a Ravi Shastri and speaking, and who you've heard 
speaking cricket over the years as much as you can remember and one fine day you're sitting alongside them speaking the same sport it, it gets you a little nervous and and that's fair but I've always realized that if I'm given an opportunity I should make sense and and I'm not being judged by women around I'm being judged by my audience around. Like Anjum, Snahal Pradhan is now an authoritative voice, albeit one of the few female ones, on cricket in India. However, her routine was slightly different. Soon after retiring, and to an extent while still playing at a high level in fact, Snahal was one of the first to start writing about women's cricket in the same way as the men's game was being written about, and at a time when there was very little serious analytical coverage, or really any coverage at all in fact. So we asked her how she went about changing this. Snehal, you, you've got more than 130,000 YouTube subscribers to your channel, Cricket with Snehal, and your Twitter and Instagram accounts have a pretty healthy following as well. You've also just been part of the BBC Test Match special team covering the recent India versus England ODI series. However, when you started writing and talking about women's cricket, there was little to no coverage, and neither Cricket's governing body in India nor any of the mainstream media showed any interest in it. How did you start growing that audience? Um, I suppose it was the fact that there was little or no coverage, so few people actually writing about the game, that made me think that, you know, after my uh, playing career, this is something that uh, I'd like to do. I never thought it would uh, turn into a viable living so almost uh, directly so soon after uh, retiring from cricket I got into this but I had been writing since before that I, I would do the odd blog for Wisdom in India as uh, as a player kind of writing on the domestic circuit and internationals while I was still playing so that was sometimes weird because I was criticizing the VCCI while being in the BCCI system and of course uh, giving them credit where it was due um, but I think I just wanted more of a presence for women's cricket in the media. I saw digital as uh, the best platform to do that. I asked around and luckily got a gig, uh, started off with First Post, that was the first proper writing gig uh, I did. And um, then not just cricket, I started writing about other sports, men's cricket as well. Uh, but women's cricket has always been the subject I'm most passionate about because I've always wanted to give it a voice. I've always wanted to take it from just token coverage to proper analysis, actually getting the issues that Indian uh, women's cricket faces out there in front of the public. And uh, so, yeah, that was the journey that took me to being one of the uh, only three journalists who uh, came to England for the 2017 Women's World Cup. And since then, it's great to see that there are so many more people writing about women's cricket. And how important a role has social media played in the awareness and development of women's sport where that official or historical infrastructure has been lacking? Massive. Like one example for uh, that I remember is uh, the BCCI women's team scores were transmitted via the BCCI domestic handle. So the domestic handle this had... on Twitter. On Twitter, yes. So uh, the domestic handle had way less followers than the men's uh, or the BCCI handle had, the main BCCI handle which was used exclusively for uh, men's games. So I wrote an open letter to the BCCI president at the time uh, saying this is not how, where you transmit the... And that's, that's somebody with a, a lot of power and historically quite hard to get hold of. I, exactly. I wrote an open letter saying that women's team either needs to be publicized from the same handle or they need their own handle. And I got some feedback from journalists saying that, you know, open letters never, almost never reach the person that they're actually addressed to. But a couple of weeks later it happened. So the BCCI women domestic handle, uh, BCCI women handle uh, came into being, which is now transmitting scores of the national team. And uh, then I essentially started promoting it on social media that, come on guys, the BCCI women handle is finally here. Let's get behind it. And I think I was, I, it was close to five, uh, 2,000 followers or 1,000 followers, some kind of landmark. Uh, I tweeted, let's get it to 1,000 followers or whatever that landmark was by the end of the day. And Sachin Tendulkar then retweeted that, saying, why 1,000? Let's get to 5,000 by the end of the day. And boom, there they were, 5,000. And then after the 2017 World Cup, it just exploded. So social media has played a huge role in that. And do you think social media goes beyond just facilitating women's sport, but has a wider role to play in, in gender equality across the country? Social media, yes, um, but social media is a storytelling platform. You cannot facilitate uh, gender equality without the story. And I think the fact that the team has captured 
the imagination of the players of the, the Indi public, Indian women's Indian team, team yeah, through uh, their performances in the World Cup is what is going to uh, be the story and be the driver of change. Social media is one of the platforms of that change, but it's only if they put in the performances and India is unfortunately a country that only follows a winning team. So it's only if they keep winning will uh, sport through social media be useful as a narrative to change that gender equality. And now that you have such a following and a name, to coin a phrase, how has your relationship developed with the BCCI and mainstream media? Are you still, is there still a sort of element of suspicion as there was when you first started or do they recognise the power of your approach through social media and perseverance and are there efforts to work more collaboratively together? Well, the BCCI isn't exactly well known for its collaboration <laughs> with uh, the mainstream media. It's not a very friendly relationship either in men's cricket or in women's cricket. So it's not, uh, and I don't expect it to be. I don't expect uh, to be pally with uh, the powers that be because essentially my one of my jobs as a journalist is to question them. And fair enough if uh, I'm questioned by my readers and I get, I suppose it's a sign of where women's cricket is that I get trolled. Uh, for my opinions, uh, especially when I voice my opinions about Mithali Raj opening, not opening the batting. Uh, since then, I've gotten consistently trolled by a section of uh, her fans, which is completely understandable. It's completely fair. So, for me, in a way, is that sort of a vindication that, that women's cricket means something? It's important that people are getting so wound up about a women's cricketer in India. Yes, it is. It's good. It's a good thing. I um, I know this is part of the process of growing up you could say, um, of this field getting bigger, of the stars getting bigger, of my own presence um, getting bigger. Uh, but I don't envisage a situation where uh, a lot of collaboration, uh, not I don't envisage, I don't really think we've had a situation where a lot of collaboration has happened. Uh, I don't know if the powers that be read my work, it's not my job uh, to worry about that either. I prefer keeping a healthy distance from um, the people I'm writing about. So even if it means that some of them are my friends, I'll make it make an effort to not kind of be pally with them on tours, uh, just to keep that professional distance because it can get uh, blurred those lines between being a journalist, being a cricketer, and having played cricket with and against a few of these people. And where would you like to see? women's coverage of women's cricket and women's sports in five years time. I remember discussing this with you and uh, Jared Kimber on a BBC show uh, 2017 just before the opening game that um, women's cricket in India at that time needed the building of heroes. It needed those storylines to be built around uh, how great uh, these players are, the sacrifices they've put in. Uh, now I think that narrative is shifting, at least I have seen myself uh, shifting from a more hero-building narrative to a more analytical, a more critical uh, narrative. And I'd love for that to develop because it means that this team is um, just getting more and more eyeballs and uh, being held to higher standards. Um, I think I'd love to see that being taken well by the establishment, by the players, by the fans, by the readers. So. Yes, this hero-building narrative is important, but I think it's going to get to a stage where we have uh, a spade being called a spade and everybody involved being okay with that. Even if that's uh, some, a reader or a fan telling me that this is, I don't agree with your opinion, I, I need to be okay with that. Well, I'm looking forward to lots of people arguing with you <laughs> on social media in the future. Snehal, thank you very much. Pleasure. So as you can hear, a lot of change has happened very quickly in women's sport globally. Yet it still suffers from those that argue that too much investment does not make economic sense or does not carry the sort of interest to survive in a profit and loss world. And that professional sport is a business, not a charity. So there's no room for the women's game. However, frustratingly, in some ways, over the years, there have been a number of examples demonstrating that this lack of interest argument doesn't hold much store. None more so, really, than just over 20 years ago when... In India, as we discussed right at the start of this podcast, Australia women beat New Zealand in front of a packed house in Calcutta. One thing that's just always intrigued me is the 1997 Women's World Cup final. There were famously 80,000 spectators at the, at the final Eden Gardens in Calcutta. Why didn't women's cricket in the country take off after 
that success. Yeah, I completely agree to that. I think uh, that was my first World Cup as well, 97 World Cup, and I was sitting on the sidelines watching because Indian team failed to reach the finals. Yes, completely right, because, uh, you know, that was one massive success that uh, it was hoping that could get. And I, I think I'll just add on to 97 being 2013 as well. Uh, where the ICC Women's World Cup was held in India in 2013. Again, the Indian team failed to reach the semi-finals and the finals. And that was another missed opportunity. It's just that, as I said, you know, the kind of uh, investment um, skill-wise that uh, needs to be done by the players also needs to come about and help assist the administrators and the authorities take that next step forward. Because it, it has to be like, like a chicken and egg story, what comes first. In this case, I think we are far away from a chicken and egg story. It's about the players that they need to realize that they're sitting on a gold mine, they're sitting on an opportunity which can not only turn their fortunes around as a player, as individuals, recognizable faces, but also going forwards to the next generation. Because I took to the sport looking at my brother play and my uh, family play the sport of cricket. From them, I took it up. The next generation will look up at the people who are playing now. So you're you're just turning the leaf over and you're just changing the next chapter into that book. And I think this generation has that uh, opportunity of uh, becoming uh, idols and heroes and I think they should grab it with both hands. On that note, finally, what about Indian women's cricket in five years' time? Will we have seen an Indian one-day World Cup champions or T20 World Champions by that time? Where do you see women's cricket in India? I would see them as having uh, a trophy in their hands. That's, I mean, as I said, you know, if you look at the statements coming out, which nearly about 20 years now, 15 years from now, uh, we want to win a World Cup, we want to win a World Cup. Yes, it, again, I say words need to be backed by actions. Yes, hope is one thing that you need to win a World Cup, but there are a lot of things that need to go down in becoming a world champion. And everybody idolizes that. Everybody knows that you don't become world champions overnight. There is a lot of hard work, toil that goes around behind that uh, that uh, championship victory and I would hope that uh, the Indian team you know starts putting in that kind of an effort they are putting efforts take nothing away from it but there's a difference in finishing runners-up in finishing number four and then finishing right at the top Anjum Chopra thank you very much is hoping that in five years time we will see an Indian world champion team and then in five years time you and me will sit here and talk about what next Here's hoping. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> well, that's all we've got time for on this episode of Sport Inc. Join us again next time, where we'll be looking at sport from an entirely different angle altogether. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>